Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius, and we're on a, we are joining the Jupiter Mining Corps. No, are we not? Or are we joining uh, a pre-Nostromo mining organization? <laughs> uh, we're going to find out. We're going to be talking about Outland from 1981. Uh, but Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm a little uh, scared that uh, James Bond is going to slap me around. Yeah, I think that I don't know if that was a uh, him threatening to sort of in this film he threatens to slap around a female doctor. I feel that may have been an ad libbed line from Sean Connery rather than from the character. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I think that was just yeah. Um, but yes, we're talking about Outland from 1981, uh, a story in which um, a marshal uh, played by Sean Connery goes and visits or is assigned to a. Um, mining organization on on a moon surrounded jupiter and whilst he's there people start to die under mysterious circumstances and he starts to look into the level of deaths that are going on and finds they are related to a drug i suppose that has been uh, these the miners are using to up productivity and he ends up taking on the mining organization that results in a final high noon showdown um so we'll we're going to get to that. Um, so well, you... High Noon is an apt reference because, I mean, literally, he's a marshal. I mean, this is a Western in space. And oh, it's... This is totally like a remake of, of that kind of High Noon, yeah. um, Rio Bravo kind of. Mm. Um, yeah. I lo- and I love it for that. I actually love that. Love it for that. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on Outland to begin with? Um, I think it's surprisingly good. Mm. Um you know, I think it is, you know, to my mind, it's certainly, uh, you know, like probably, you know, in the in the fair sort of like six range. But I can see somebody scoring it a little higher, too, um, you know, in the solid, good, you know, sort of seven range. Um, I know we're not doing our official ratings yet, but, you know, um, no, I think that it it starts slowly. It starts mm-hmm. shockingly mm-hmm. slowly, especially mm-hmm. for today. Right. It's like, oh, yes, I, I forgot how slow the 1980s. Were. <laughs> uh, but then once it gets going, it's really fast. Mm. By, by the time you're halfway through, you know who did it. You know everything that's going on. It, it's advanced very quickly. Um, obviously, there are those sort of Sean Connery uh, moments um, that are misogynistic, that are uh, off-putting for, for their... <laughs> celebration of violence especially toward uh women but you know then you get into this sort of it it sort of starts to drag again and then you get this conclusion that's both fantastic like it's well done it goes Mm -hmm. shoots for the stars but also is clunky 
at the same time. Um, but overall, I thought, oh, you know, this is this is once it gets going, this is working pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm the same. Actually, I really enjoy it. I actually, actually, I do really enjoy this one. I think I'll be one of the ones. We'll get to the official ratings, but that sort of higher seven is probably where I sit. You say about this, the thing about it being, it is slow. Like, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. This film starts um, and it it takes a little time. You've introduced the characters. You've got to be introduced to the, the, the environment. And because of that, there is a lot of um, uh, exposition about certain things. And so it does take a while to get going, but I just love the atmosphere. This film sort of sets up a really good um, atmosphere. And I think, you know, this comes down to, this, I mean, we're going to get to some comparisons to other films and stuff and what, what universe or what canon this could be applied to. But like Jerry Goldsmith's score on this sort of seems to apply this really nice sort of like this, this is not a nice place to be. It doesn't glorify this thing. It's a mining, it is literally a mining town on the moon of, of Jupiter. Um, and it's grungy and it's sort of, you know, even... Um, the the living quarters like so Sean Connery has a wife and son um, who uh, you know they end up leaving him and not so much because of anything that he sort of does but more because um, of this environment they've had to go from um, mining colony to mining colony and it's always been the same and she says about well, the sun's never seen the the, the earth but this great point like the, the even the living quarters are not a comfortable looking environment. Like there's just there's almost like a, a an industrial industrialness to everything, and I love that look. Yeah, and and literally the walls look grimy. Like mm. everything has this patina of of grime. Like I find myself thinking, you know, don't they have like uh, Clorox wipes out there? <laughs> um, you know, this yeah. isn't that hard to take care of. But no, I mean, it, it seems to be taking sort of the alien astromo sort of to the next level. Well, yeah, I mean, you say that, I mean, you know, there's an aesthetic to this film that, and I looked, I was about halfway through, and I literally Googled to to be like, does Outland exist in the same universe as Alien? You know, forget Aliens and Alien 3 and all that other stuff, but does this exist in the same continuity as Alien? And I'm not the first and I'm not the only one. Like there are people that have written like big articles on this about the comparisons, everything down to like the designs of the space suits, but like just everything about this film feels like and there's there's a there's a distance in time, because obviously this takes place in like 21, I think 2149 or something, and then the other one takes place in 22. So there's a distance in time, but um there's very much a sense of sort of that that sort of like blue collar working person like that the Nostromo could quite easily be picking up ore <laughs> from this colony to then to take it back to Earth. Like it would fit perfectly. Um so yeah, I well, just look but I love that feel. Well and also both plots are about corporations not mm. caring if their employees die. Um I think it's a little more uh direct in Alien. Mm. Um you know, I mean there's something more savage about having, you know, an alien kill your people and you don't care because you want that alien for R&D. Um, but here the plot is that there's a drug. The drug makes people more productive. Um, you know, it just makes them go crazy after mm. you know, 12 months. Now, that's a little convenient, right? I mean, it's a little pat, but yeah, okay. 
and obviously it's illegal, but the everybody turns a blind eye. It's it's basically, uh, you know, how things are expected to be run. Well, yeah, there's there's some because it comes down to um, there's some performances in this, like because this could be one of the things I would say is there's 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 the risk of a film like this becoming a bit too arch. You know, you could because you, you do have those corporate villains are in this film, especially Peter Boyle as sort of like the, the general manager of, of the mining town. And he could, you know, there's, there's, there's a risk in this where he could be playing this sort of like that sort of like comedic, stereotypical Western land baron. That's like, you know, <laughs> all I care about is profit. But he plays it like, there's, Peter Boyle is, is is a really I, I really like him in this film because he's just as downtrodden as everybody else. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to be in this hellhole either. But in order for me to to do what I need to do, this is the way it's got to work. And so I'm yeah. going to do that because you know he's not clearly not making like huge profits from this. Like he's not his own personal gain is I'm looked upon favorably, which means I can leave at a certain point. Like that's it. He's just as just as much a cog in the wheel as as everybody else, and I kind of like that as well. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I I got the sense that he is making profit, and he is, you know, they might be substantial profits at least mm. compared to everybody else in the mine, but that his his goal is certainly to use that to, um, you know, get out of there. And mm. he talks about having a family. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get back to. Sean Connery's family and, and mm. how we understand that. But um, no, I, I quite like this thing. And it dovetails nicely with what Dr. Lazarus says about like, you know, I'm not a very good doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, look, if I were a good doctor, I wouldn't be assigned out here. Uh, why are you committed to being a good marshal? I mean, you know, that whole discussion, I think, is fascinating and, and frames the entire film in a way that it's integrated with the plot in a way that it isn't in most films, right? Mm. It's like a background theme in most other films. Here, you can't understand anything that's happening without how sort of disposable those miners are, how, you know, thoughtless the system is, and how the marshal is um, doing what he's doing precisely because he, you know, has nothing more to lose except um, his respect for himself and his mm. family's respect. Yeah, I do want to get to that actually because that's you know cause that's the main theme of this is like you say. There's clearly been other marshals because they do a tour, <clears throat> so they do this tour, so they're rotated through, and he does have like a team of people, um, and they've all turned a blind eye to it, and they're all clearly aware of this, um, and there's a great scene. Um, again, like there's a, there's almost like a um, um, this film does well at turning things into the mundane, you know, like it's, it's it sort of tunes into because it could be again that you know this comes from that griminess of the seventies, doesn't it? That sort of post um, polished futurism that existed. This is everything you say, everything's grimy, and there's a mundane sort of banality to being a marshal on this thing as well, where they go through like, okay, well, what happened in this area? What's happening there? And they're all a bit like, oh. You know, there's been a bit of like there was a small fight, nothing to worry about. We've heard this, we've heard that. Like, the, mm-hmm. even the marshals, like it's become an everyday um, 
occurrence. Like this is, you know, there's nothing here where it's sort of like there was a laser fight in, in sector 52. It's more a case of like, no, there were some miners had a scuffle. They've been drunk. We put them in the tank overnight and it's done. Like this is, this is banal. It's, 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 it's repetitive. It's, it's, you know, this is a, this is a, almost like a forgotten, the people at this place are forgotten. I and mean, it made me think of like um, what it must be like to live on oil rigs and, you know, in these sorts of places um, for long periods of time. So um, yeah, I like that, that, that like you say, it sort of, it comes down to this thing, this theme of like, do you become just a part of it or do you stand up to it? And and that's obviously where Sean Connery's character gets to. Um and his his he's asked, isn't it, at one point, like, what is it to be a good man? Like, you know, is he is he good, or is do that what do what people believe him to be? Is that true? So I, I like all that. Yeah, and we can get into that in more depth, and I'm, mm. I'm sure we will. The thing about the griminess, um, you know, obviously the '70s, everything was falling apart. <laughs> um, you know, so it reflects that period, but also, you know, I can't help but think. All of that's true, and I like all of that. I like the prostitutes. I mean, unfortunately, they're some of the only women. It's like the doctor's allowed to be a woman. There's no female minors. It's not progressive like alien in that respect. But, um, you know, then I do find myself wondering, uh, not to the extent of like Event Horizon, although there were times I thought of that, mm. but I do find myself wondering, like, it's so grimy. Um, you know, why do you have so much space? Like, why do you make these corridors so roomy and so long? You know, like, and, and the exterior shots of this mining facility are like, this is fucking enormous. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the size of a city. Um, and yeah, I know some actual mining facilities are, but it doesn't, you know, it's like how obviously, like, water every, you know, the Nostromo and Alien is enormous and it's filled with water everywhere. Like everything that you know would not be the case in real life, yeah. is the case out there, but it still is supposed to feel grimy. But there's this weird way in which, if you think about it, it feels like really luxurious. Mm. Um, and and I did have some of the same thoughts here that um, you know even even their attitude toward air. There were some shots, you know, and some discussions where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you totally take having air for granted here. Um, you know, you're filling these enormous spaces with air, um, these enormous recreational spaces, these enormous uh, the the uh, the, the spaces. but also like say the greenhouse area at the end, sort of. Oh like, my yeah. god! Yeah. yeah, this giant greenhouse area, which is so easily shattered, you destroy <laughs> yeah. this mat out the food supply for the entire place. Everybody starves in the next reel, um, which I'm just sure we'll get to. But um, no, I mean there is this sense of luxury at the same mm. time. Not to mention people smoking. Um, I mean, we can get into the silly computer <laughs> graphics and, and, and things like this. But, you know, the fact that, like, oh, yeah, it's impossible to imagine having a mining colony in pressurized oxygen where people aren't going to smoke because that's just something humans do. Yeah. I love that. that like you say, it's, it's sort of um, when you get these futuristic films, but they're very much a future representation of the time in which they're made, which is, which is always going to be the case. But like you say, this is clearly like this. This is like the late seventies, early eighties, in one hundred and fifty years. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I get what you mean. But the, it is weird. Like they want to show, um, an industrial 
uh, aesthetic. They want to show this griminess, this sort of this mining. Um, I'm trying to think. There's almost like there's yeah, there's a, there's a dichotomy between the, the claustrophobia they keep wanting to try and highlight, but then this space age technology that they keep wanting to introduce as well. Um, and it's, it is interesting how they sort of have these different things. Like they're trying not to go full Star Wars or full Star Trek. Like they want to show this to be thing, but they don't want it to be shown to be um, unsophisticated. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a sort of a, there's a struggle, isn't there? Because you're right. There's there's areas where you do go. I'm not sure what this space is for. <laughs> like, it seems big. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure this would be how it would be. But aesthetically, it looks it it it, it, it all works for me. I have to admit. But like mm. you say, the the one thing and we'll get we'll, we'll bring this around back to Sean Connery's family shortly is the habitat. Um, because they have this sort of because you never see the bedroom you sort of you see sort of like there's a living there's a living area which is uh probably closer to the quarters you see on red dwarf um mm-hmm. than but then when you see like the doctor's surgery it's all white and it's it seems a lot cleaner and i am thinking like how is it that the doctor's surgery is all seems quite like you say luxurious and you know that that sophistication yet they can't do wallpaper <laughs> and, and and sort of solid walls for the for the living habitats. Mm. It seems all very mm. sort of, you know, choices were made to give it that thing. But I also understand that it's supposed to be this struggle of the living environment that pushes the wife away. So I get why it's mm. there for that purpose. Excuse me for that purpose as well. Well, and I think it's like you say that there's this struggle between wanting to portray that sort of working class. Um, you know, alien-like, uh, you know, future, but mm. also still trying to, um, yeah, you know, have, have let the set designers have fun. Um, you know, clearly that sort of bar, strip club, uh, whorehouse, they had fun making that, and they've yeah. got, you know, the laser lights and stuff, and it looks really cool. Um, it also looks like, you know, like I can't imagine them devoting the space Um you know, to this, we, we don't send soldiers out into the field and say, well, you know, they're definitely going to need prostitutes. We're going we're gonna to ship prostitutes with them. I mean, no. But yeah. again, but again, I think one of the things is this mining facility, you know, this is clearly, an, you know, this is a Western in space, as you've said. And so they are trying to sort of represent, a, you know, they're trying to represent a, a mining, like a Western mining town mm-hmm. in space. Yeah. So, the, point, right? so they are trying to sort of like replicate that. That's a saloon, isn't it? That's where the sort of like the showdown is going to be between the the sheriff and, and the sort of the main villain sort of thing. So they're trying to have those sort of tropes and stuff in there as well. Um, and so I sort of get, but I, I also kind of like the fact that um, Peter Boyle's character, the general manager, they're his. Like he knows that they because he refers to them later on as his prostitutes. And he says, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, he says, Well, you know, they're my they're my women, they're mostly clean, they're mostly sort of, you know, whatever. Like he knows he that says, there's he says like uh they're mostly clean and uh some of them are even attractive. Yes, that's it, yeah. <laughs> and so Not a bad a, line. No, and there's so there's an acknowledgement of like there needs to be a release valve for some of these people. And so this is how we facilitate it. Like, so it's not just a sort of um, a working place. Like they recognize that this is, there's got to be this sort of like, and again, I think this comes down to 
um, a feel for the time. Yes, they're trying to do um, a Western in space, but this very much, again, feels like that sort of like grimy 70s, early 80s aesthetic, sort of like, you know, um, which again, I, I actually I actually really dig. It's something I'm sort of, I, I kind of like um, as a sort of a feel. Um, but let's talk right, about... Let's talk about Sean Connery. Yeah? Yes. I mean, he is, this, this may be one of the most Sean Connery performances that Sean Connery <laughs> delivers of all time. And, and he is so obviously himself in so many movies, right? Um, where, you know, he's clearly just, you know, phoning it in. I mean, I, I don't think anyone thought that he took acting seriously, you know? Mm. I mean, he's always been Sean Connery and everything to a degree. Um, but, you know, that, that famous quote uh, from Sean Connery, in, you know, who died recently, but that famous quote of him, saying in an interview like well of course i've smacked women around um only when they deserved it mm. um you know and, and there were he certainly had that attitude and, and got in trouble uh, sometimes saying these things and, and acting this macho way on set um and here i don't know like how this you know obviously it was it was okay at the time in a way that it wasn't isn't now but still you think like you said, maybe that's an ad lib line. I mean, <laughs> it's a good it's a good line, right? I mean, the doctor's mm. saying like, "Well, that's a doctor joke," and she's sort of saying, "Well, I'm not going to do this quickly. You know, you've got to deal with me. You're in my territory now." And then he says, "You know, maybe I'll smack you around the room. You know, that's a Marshall joke," um, which you know, it's not a bad line, especially in a western, especially if it were a male doctor. You think nothing of it. Um, I mean, it's threatened violence, but we're used to violence being threatened to men. Yeah, but I would say one of the things I actually think is um, the person, the woman they've got playing, uh, Francis Sternhagen. spend the next 30 minutes defending Sean Connery. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> what I would say is that, no, because you say about the sort of female dictator, but her, I like, this is the thing where I actually want to give credit to uh, Francis uh, Sternhagen as Dr. Marlon, Marlon Lazarus. Because her response is not as of a, ooh, she sort of smirks at him. Like, she's a sort of, like, she's she's used to dealing with these, you know, overly macho, burly men. So she sort of takes it in a stride as if to say, like, she sm- the, 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 the response she gives is, yeah, you're just as bad as all the rest of them. Like, she's heard yeah. all this before, you know, you don't, you don't scare her. Like, she's not intimidated. So I like, I, I think she's a great character, actually, in all of this. Um, I agree. Uh, so and, and and to the end, I mean, she is she's tough. Mm. She also is not feminized. Like, Mm-mm. you know, she isn't shot in a way that is, uh, you know, unattractive or, or masculinizing or, or anything. But she's not played as a sex figure. She's not a no. love interest. And you know, there are some shots, especially at the end, where she comes into action, where it's like, oh no, she's just. She's not defined by her gender. And she's not shot in a way that's defined by her gender in a way that I thought was pretty progressive. Yeah. Like this could, the character, Dr. Lazarus, could easily be played by a male as much as a female. And I like the fact that she's, she is, and again, she she knows her, this sounds really bad, but she knows her position in the whole um, structure of things. Like she, like you say, she's like, look, if I was a really good doctor, I wouldn't have been sent to this <laughs> crap hole on, on this mining colony. Like, 
you know, she knows that sort of like where her skill sets is, but she's used to dealing with these people. Um, and so, yeah, she feels like, the, you know, it, often when you have these characters and, and you know, um, again, like even when they're trying to be progressive, they end up having a sort of a character that sort of, you know, either overly um, um, tough, you know, I've survived yeah. in this sort of thing, or the, or cynical, but or they try and make them as in sort of like the beauty, the the rose amongst mm. the thorns kind of thing. But with mm-hmm. her, she's just like, no, I work in a mining colony. I've had to deal with it. Like, you know, same shit, different day kind of thing. And I like that sort of like her, the, her attitude. I think she, she's, she's a really good presence in this whole film. So that that's why that line to me works where he's yeah. trying to give a little bit of intimidation, but it completely deflects off her. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's sure. almost like you know, she she won't allow that comment to be as gendered as we perceive it to be. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, but you but you are right about Sean Connery comes to this film, and I was curious. So I did. I did there's nothing really from behind the scenes to say like you know he was invested in this or whatever. Like he didn't. But he is very sort of like he's fine, and I like his presence. I think he has a good. He's got mm-hmm. a good charisma. He's got good presence, but there are clearly scenes where he's more invested than others, I think at times. Um, and um, I think about sort of like his response to um, other films that he was offered mm-hmm. uh, and, and did like he was at one point, he was offered the, the opportunity to be Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Um, mm. And also obviously he was Ramirez in Highlander and he took Ramirez cause he was like, yeah, it paid well. Like that was it. You know, like he, he read the script, just like, I didn't yeah. understand it. And his response to, to Lord of the Rings was like, I did understand it, but it was, <laughs> you know, um, and I get the feeling with this where he sort of read it and gone like, yeah, I sort of get it, but I'm not interested in doing this science fiction shit. So I'm just going to take the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that when was that not true for Sean Connery? I mean, that's maybe true. the yeah. early, maybe Dr. No. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, but seriously, but like, by the time you're a couple films into James Bond, he's like, I'm being underpaid. Fuck these guys, you know, and and has publicly said it, mm. um, you know, so it's sort of like, look, I, I tried early on. I helped make an amazing franchise. Basically, four years into my acting career, I had accomplished more than I ever thought I would. From then on, I was about getting money for what I had done in this four years. Yes. Um, and I think that's kind of true. Mm. But having said that, he does, you're right, that he does sort of laconically walk through the whole film. But then that's also so much of like, I mean, when we've talked about Clint Eastwood, yes. um, you know, he does the same thing. I mean, a lot of these sort of like emotionless kind of tough guys, um, you know, that's their shtick is not acting, basically. <laughs> No, but you 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 know you're right in saying that. I think this performance, and I even think like even the director Peter Himes, uh, is going for that. Like this clearly is a okay. We're not going full Dirty Harry, but we're looking for a Western um, hero kind of trope. Like we're looking for, you know, um, th- I mean, this is clearly reaching back to the sort of the heyday of the Western. Like they're looking for those sorts of characters. And that's what he's supposed to be. Um, I mean, you know, this isn't... It, I, I get the feeling, like, if they could have made him a drunk, mm. 
that was recovering and it was like a, re- a redemption story, they would have done. Like it feels like that would have been the next step. That would have been probably a cliche too far. Um, so you're saying that's why they couldn't? Uh, no, I, I think there was a choice not to. But I could easily see that he, you know he was sent here because of a disgrace. Like, they, you know, mm. To me, mm-hmm. the the the, yeah. the easy axe. Oh, he was sent to this moon because of a, a, a cock up because he was a drunk and he's looking to redeem himself and that's his arc for being so committed to this. Um, but they didn't go there. But I could easily see that just because I've seen that in westerns. Like you've seen that mm-hmm. in so often. So. Um, but I feel like you say uh, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, those sort of those like say seventies performances is what this is going for. Um, so yeah, I, I I definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, I I found myself uh, also thinking about uh, you know what I think is a less apt comparison, but also thinking about Chinatown and mm. you know Nicholson's performance there is of course you know he's a, playing a very different character. Um, and and it's a it's a much more nuanced, uh, brilliant performance, um, but that also has the same sense of like oh it's corrupt can't change it. Um, there of course it's a detective story, not a western. Here the detective story is done halfway through, and I think it deteriorates once it's done, and it you know becomes the inevitable sort of person on person you know big bad kind of you know conclusion there. Um, but I did, I did find myself thinking of, you know, the in a in a positive sense. I mean it as a compliment, the sort of lostness of uh, Nicholson in uh, Chinatown. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a, yeah, because that is actually a rather, uh, you know, it's another, another great. It's a it's a great film that sort of um, with a great performance. Um, but like Nicholson's character in that is another one that sort of he gets caught up in that whole sort of case and stuff and he gets away from him, doesn't he? That's the sort of the, one of the points in that sort of like, he, mm-hmm. he, you know, he barely sort of makes the the case and actually he doesn't win in the end. Like the end of the film actually is sort of like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a sort of a loss at the end of the film. No spoilers, go watch Chinatown. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But one of the things is like with Pete, with this character is like, you know, there's, there's, the character, like I say, the thing is, I say, a lot of those other characters get beaten up and get sort of injured, like you say, even like say Nicholson in Chinatown, or like you know James Stewart in some of these films, or, or Cary Grant, or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. One of the things I found, I, the one thing I would say is a detraction for to this film is there's still like there's almost like an invulnerability to the, to the Sean Connery character in this. You know, there's a tough, yeah. there's a toughness that sort of is a bit like. Yeah, you know, I get it, but like, um, it never feels like he's not gonna win, sort of thing. That's true. Doesn't he? Doesn't he get shot? He does, and there's a couple of fights that are quite good in that sense yeah. of sort of like you know he. But, uh, but I think maybe it's because of the way Sean Connery's playing it. Like yeah. he never, he never feels like he's been. Um, there's a scene he's not where he's as well as in Die Hard, you know. Exactly, like he's not. Yeah, he's not being worn down by this. This he's he, and this I think maybe comes to the sort of the level of a, of performance he's given at times. But like the 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 his approach at the sort of the thirty minute mark is the same approach at like the one hour fifteen mark. You know what I mean? Like he's been yeah. through several fights. He never feels like um, just to give a you know we're going to talk about it. The end of the film is him being alone. Like he's supposed to be standing alone against these people that are coming to kill him. That sort of 
the the climax. He has the support from the Doctor, but he's still that laconic sort of. You know, he's supposed to be sort of. He sends a message to his family and all this other stuff, and you know, it's supposed to feel desperate. It's supposed to feel mm. sort of like he's isolated and alone and trapped. But he never sort of gives that performance. It never feels desperate. It just feels sort of like grumpy, and that's it. And so, um, well, don't don't forget the the black officer does support him too at the end. Great, um, briefly. Yeah, briefly. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're right. You, there is no tension, and in fact, I think you know there are all these narrative signs that we're supposed to think that he is not going to survive. Right? Mm. That he's facing the fight of his life, and the odds are against him. But as he's waiting that sixty hours for the transport to arrive, and sort of blowing time and getting drunk with the doctor and things like this, he's often just sort of waiting. And I find myself thinking. Oh, he's looking forward to this. I mean, I found myself thinking, like, first of all, why does he not just arrest the guy? Mm. He's got all the evidence. Yes. You know, I mean, arrest the guy immediately. There's no point. Like, why would you? I mean, he doesn't ever arrest the guy. He punches him and says the case is over. But the implication is at the end that he has arrested the guy. and He's got his man. You had the same evidence 60 hours ago. Why not just arrest him and then the three guy assassins come and you know you you know well, this, I mean, this you could just detain no, everybody on the ship. I mean, I don't know. No, I'm I'm glad you said it. Cause one of the things I was curious about was the way that the ending sort of pans out because I was very much like I thought the same. Like he has this conversation, like he's had an open conversation with Peter Boyle <laughs> about it. Like they clearly know each other's position. Like you know, uh, Sean Connery's um, characters. Uh, he's found the drugs. He's actually destroyed a whole bunch of them. And he goes and confronts Peter Boyle and Boyle's like, oh, well, that's annoying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, we're taking this. So we're going down that route. Are you sure you want to go down this route? And they both sort of have this sort of like, you know, like a macho sort of standoff. But he's got the evidence and he's admitted it. And you saw so we're going to like arrest him. <laughs> All right. So you're going to arrest him. And the end of the film is going to be the corporation sending these people in to bust him out mm. and to kill the marshal. That's what I was expecting. And he's having to defend the jail or something like that. So he can process the crime or get it through to whoever, but it's not. And I was a bit like, Oh, so what's he doing? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Mm. This showdown almost seems a bit pointless, not pointless, but like, I don't know. It, 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 As usual, of, right? I mean, yeah. these big, big fights at the end, usually this is their risk, is in trying to create drama. There are three assassins coming. The odds are against him. Uh, you know, he has to take one down and then two down and three down. Yeah. I, I will say the film comes up with inventive ways of doing that. Oh, I mean, yeah, I yeah. was it's really fun. dreading. Mm-hmm. I was really dreading it because I'm like, why does he not just arrest this guy? As you say, he's clearly guilty. You've got all the evidence. Um, he's he's actually threatened to kill you. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, well, no, um, like, he has a recording of it. He literally has a recording <laughs> of the phone call to the corporation saying, oh, can you send these guys down to kill him? Um, the film that, 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 I, that crossed my mind, and it actually sort of sent me down a little bit of a thought pattern when I was watching this end piece, because I thought about this, was like, well, what's the end game of this? Because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't so much arrest someone. Uh, and talking about Clint Eastwood, have you seen the film The Gauntlet? No. Okay, so The Gauntlet is a 1970s Clint Eastwood film. It's really good, actually. I actually really enjoy it. It's got Sandra Locke in it as well. And the idea is that Sandra Locke is a prostitute, but she's a witness to a murder. And so 
Clint Eastwood has got to get her to the, this courtroom so she can testify. Um, and he t- it turns out, you know, spoilers, it turns out that the people that were involved in the, this mob hit and, the, and, and this killing were also his one of his superiors and all this other stuff. So mm. he's got to sort of across this gauntlet of the police to get to um, the courthouse. So you get the sort of, it's a fun film. It's more, it's a bit more action and a bit silly, but the yeah. point of it is like, he's got this destination to get to. Like if he fails, this case falls apart and this killer and also this, this, you know, the corruption will continue. Like, you know, and again, it is a redemption story. He's a drunk and all this other stuff, but you get at the end of the film, he delivers her to the, to the, the courthouse to give her testimony. Do you know what I mean? That's the point. Like, that's the success of the story. Like he's able to close the case because she's able to give evidence. And again, as mm-hmm. we often say with these films, like, oh, there's clearly a follow-up to this. Like we know, but but mm-hmm. like you feel that like the objective is is served. Like that was his mission. It allows the sort of the, the case to be progressed, so on and so forth. With this one, like you say, I was almost like if this if this was a western, you'd be waiting. Like you know, the sheriff would have taken the person to jail and then the mm-hmm. final the final point would be like they have to stay in jail for this amount of time for this marshal or whoever this judge to arrive in town for us mm. to complete the mm-hmm. complete the prosecution like that's what he's defending like if he escapes i can't complete the prosecution so i've got to you know justice has got to be served kind of thing there's no end goal there's no objective to why he's actually standing up to his people so whenever they confront him about i've got to be a good man I, I keep thinking to myself, how have you proven you're a good man? Because all you technically have done so far is kill people on this and starved these people on a mining colony without actually prosecuting anybody. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find myself wondering, uh, you know, I mean, if he did arrest it, you know, you say like, you know, maybe the colony, maybe the bad, his bosses sent the three guys anyway. Well, they've clearly said, if he if he gets arrested and it doesn't work, he's disposable, right? We've, mm. we've heard that conversation. It seems to me, you know, what happens, I mean, this movie should end 30 minutes early with, you know, Sean Connery just arrests him. He's sent off on that shuttle. The three guys are like, what do we do now? Uh, <laughs> you know, you, A new general manager sent down. That's it. Right, you know, and, and maybe they call in and they're told, don't do anything. Mm. Um you know, and so the guy is sent back. He mysteriously dies on the shuttle, and he can't behold trial. None of this is ever going to become public. You know, the powers that be are protected. And forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. But instead, we have to have the macho Western finale. And I think it's there that, although they do a bang up job of inventing, mm. you know, ways to envision those fights in space, uh, much as the best sort of. Uh, westerns did where you're like oh you know i mean the good the bad and the ugly you know mm-hmm. you know uh, metal plating and all this stuff and you know i mean the best westerns did have a sense of flair and you know showing you something that you hadn't seen before and i think this takes that to the next level and kudos for doing it but all of it is totally unnecessary and i found myself sort of half tuning out because <laughs> of that yeah and i think you're right i think that there is that that element to it of like you say, that it sort of becomes a little bit. It's 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 on. It's it's good to see, and I enjoy some of the sort of the showdowny bit, but it's it's almost superfluous. Like it it doesn't serve a purpose. So I'm a bit like, okay, so what's the point of this? I almost would like that prefer the ending. Actually, 
of like you know you can still have the showdown you can still have all these bits and pieces you can succeed and then just see that it carries on and like someone actually saying to him like look you may have proven to yourself that you're a good man but you have not changed the way the machine works right yeah absolutely you know, now, I think... and, and also not help these not help these miners. Mm. I mean, you know, they don't have a greenhouse for one thing. Yeah. Um, also, you know, have you have you seen miners? Like, remember how the the coal miners in the United States were really mad that Hillary Clinton said mines aren't coming back, but we will pay to retrain you at the government's expense. Mm. And they said, you know, this mine is going to come back. We're going to vote for Donald Trump, right? I mean, you know. Coal miners, you know, miners uh, don't always vote their interests. Is my point. No, and and my guess is a lot of these miners would be like, yeah, this drug lets us be productive, and you know, those guys went crazy because they didn't have enough fortitude. Yeah. I have the fortitude, and anyway, even if I die, I chose this. Yeah, I think I think that, 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 that again, like, there's more. There could be so much more done with this film if you want to really dig into the politics of this kind of thing, like you could be making statements about all this kind of stuff, but ecology and about sort of like you say, sort of working class politics and, and it's like you say voting, voting in against your own um, favor. Um, but also sort of like, oh, you could always make statements about the futility of the police in these environments as well. Sort of like, yeah, you're there to sort of keep the peace, but you're not there to enforce the law. Let's be clear. Um and that's sort of in there a little bit, like you. That's what I'm saying. Mm. That's sort of where it's sort of you learn when they have that sort of um, that scene where they are reporting back on the crimes and stuff that they've dealt with. It's been more, it's more peacekeeping than than law enforcement. Um, and so I, I like the fact that some of that's in here, but like you say, it's, it's it it sort of does sort of devolve into shooty shooty punchy punchy, <laughs> um, unfortunately. But I still like yeah. a lot of what this film does. Um, and, and you know, I feel that there's sort of some great scenes. And again, some of the cast are so so good. Um, even sort of Connor obviously has that laconic sort of thing, but like, um, it, it is sort of had it's, it's made better by that sort of supporting cast. I think that sort of really help him. Um, but I just wish the structure would be work, would have worked better for that finale of, yeah giving it a bit more of a sort of... One of the things you say, we have a recording of Boyle, uh, Peter Boyle's character sort of confessing that he's going to basically get three guys to come down and kill the marshal, as well as admitting to all this drug sort of like, um, you know, f- passing it out to the miners. All right, you've now got that data, but let's say, uh, here's a scenario, you can't, you know, we haven't got the technology to actually digitally pass that information to Earth. So it's got to be carried. So he has to protect hmm. the data disk or whatever it is that's got to do that. They want to destroy that because they want to cover this up. Like give it up, give the fight more of a purpose than he's a pain in the ass and I want him dead. It's sort of, I don't know, it needs more um, tension for that last sort of that last third. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think it needs more stakes yeah. for the protagonist. And and part of the problem there, as you say, is we have an actor who's not willing to sell that. Um, you know, so it's pretty hard to do that. I, I like what you're saying about policing. Um, mm. You know, this difference between keeping the peace and enforcing the law. Mm. Um, you know, and and sort of keeping the peace is kind of understood as 
um, the status quo, right? Uh, you know, if, if, if miners get into a fight and they start hitting each other at the bar, that's my job to deal with. It's not my job to fix society's problems. It's, it's not my job yeah. to go into, you know, uh, Exxon Tower and arrest the CEO for polluting. You guys figure that stuff out. In the meantime, I'm here to arrest people for uh, jaywalking and brandishing guns in gas stations. Um, and, you know, I mean, that gets at some deep stuff. Mm. I'm not convinced, though, like, I'm not convinced of uh, the protagonist's motivations. I don't know. Like, I like this story. I like what it's trying to do. But it seems to me that we don't know why he's kind of exiled to the mining company in the first place. That, you know, I mean, and let's just establish this long beginning and, and, and this ending are, are pretty awful with this text on the screen with bad mm -hmm. punctuation and, you know, uh, you know, but we don't know exactly what he's done to get exiled to IO. Um, but, you know, his, his wife is going to take his child to uh, back to earth, which he's never seen. Uh, you know, obviously he's at a, a juncture point. I, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's some issues here that I have, like, with gravity and, like, you know, I mean, that is consistent in this movie. Like, you know, gravity sort of sometimes is normal and sometimes mm -hmm. isn't. And, okay, you've got budgetary restraints. I don't know a kid raised not in Earth gravity, how he's going to function when he gets back to Earth, but that's not important. What's important is the character's emotional arc. But it seems to me that really it's a very sort of Clint Eastwood-esque kind of... Uh, all right, uh, my wife doesn't want to do what I say, so I'm going to throw a hissy fit and go off and fix this town uh, and risk my own life over and over again and at the end say, ah, I've gone on a hero's journey and now I've proven to myself that I'm a good man and I'm going to rejoin my family uh, and I've earned the you know ability or the right to just basically be a human being, which actually sounds like really self-indulgent and terrible behavior to me. Oh, it is. I mean, you, you are totally right, because this thing it tries to portray this idea of like self-respect, doesn't it? This idea of being able to look at yourself in the mirror and be, you know, see yourself as the man you, you should be. That's all this is. It's overly macho. Like his wife's actually even like confronts him and she's like, we've got tickets, we're leaving. Are you coming with us or not? And he says like, no, I can't. I can't, I've got to stay and do this. And she's even, she's going up. Like, why? Like, mm -hmm. And he can't sort of have like, you know, he, he can't sort of give her an answer. And he ends up sort of explaining to the doctor later on in a, in a, in a conversation about being, it's almost that thing of being a good man. Sort of like, you know, what is it to be a good person? Sort of like, they think I'm um, a washout. They think I'm this kind of pain in the ass, but like, I, you know, I need to prove to myself that I'm this good person. But like you say, the problem is we're not ever really given a solid backstory that says, you know, this is why he's this washout. This is why they mm. think he's going to be a pushover. I mean, I think, you know, you, you mentioned Die Hard before, but one of those things that we've seen these characters, because we've seen these characters before, is he, was he a drunk? You know, and that's the usual easy get out that oh, he was a drunk and he sort of they made a mistake. Al, the the character of Al Powell in Die Hard, like he accidentally shot a kid, 
So he became a desk cop. And so, you know, but then he sort of pulled, he hasn't pulled his gun for however many years and then eventually pulls it to save uh, John McClane at the end and all this other stuff. Like, you need at least that backstory so that they can work against it. Like, again, the same with, like, the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the reason that the, the Clint Eastwood character in the gauntlet is chosen is because he, he's a sloppy cop. Like, he's the anti... The reason Clint wanted to do it is because he's the anti... Um, uh, Harry uh, Callahan, like he's the anti-dirty mm-hmm. Harry. He's like mm-hmm. he's a he, you know he's a sloppy cop. He doesn't really take it seriously. So of course he's going to fail. So he's got to. But you, you are given that information in the film, you know, and it's the same mm-hmm. as all these things. Um, you need that backstory for him to be sort of like working against first mm-hmm. to, to care about. Otherwise, it's a like half an arc. He starts with like he starts halfway through it, and you're like. Oh, all right. Well, he finishes it. Like, but where's the start point? Where's that moment of him like struggling to sort of like take the even like Deckard in in Blade Runner, you know that thing of feeling like washed out and pointless and and all this other stuff. Like, you get that information. You need that scene of him. I know this again is cliche, but that thing where they they pour a drink and it's sort of like you know, am I going to give in to temptation or am I going to stand up? And then they push it aside. You need all that stuff, like, and it's not there. <laughs> you just sort of like, it's bizarre. Well, the other thing is, it's not there in Sean Connery. I mean, for me, no. like, like, look, I I don't know that Blade Runner has an arc, frankly, mm. for Decker, but you do feel that he's washed out just from the performance mm. and from the direction. You don't need to be told, you know, all of that. You, you get a sense of what, who a character is. Here, Sean Connery is a, you know, uh, take no prisoners kind of guy from the moment he arrives. Yes. You know, he's, he's a just like super blunt, macho dude. He's that sheriff from the moment he shows up. And so it's not like he has been somebody else. It's impossible to imagine him having been somebody else he, when he had nothing to yep. gain. By being a badass, you know, guy, yeah, to what he was presenting himself and introducing himself around the ship and talking to the doctor and all those things, he has everything to lose by being a macho, arrogant prick. And he's a macho, arrogant prick. Yeah. He's clearly just a macho, arrogant prick. This is not <laughs> like, you know, I got a raw deal and my, and my wife doesn't want to do what I tell her to do. And so I've got to, you know, have have a breaking bad moment or a, you know, falling down uh, moment. Uh, this, is just, what, this is why, know, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. But I was just, you know, and this is, I think is because I think you, you mentioned like falling down or, and those are the films that like you need that snapping point to say what's from one um, persona to the next or one sort of like state to the next. This to me is exemplified in this film by a very awkward scene later on of him talking with his wife and son, especially him talking with his son. I mean, this, the child actor they've got to play the son isn't fantastic. It's all a bit wooden. But like at one point, you know, you've got Sean Connery going, like, and give him a kiss for me. And I'm like, I don't believe anything you're saying at this point. Like, you've clearly slapped that child around. Like, it's clear. <laughs> like, I, I don't believe that you're not showing me remorse or uh, regret that you're letting your your family go and you care for his family. Like, it's... He is the weakest link in this film. Like, that's the problem. Yeah. No, I, I find myself wondering in that scene, like, this should feel like you are saying goodbye to them. Yes. Right? Like, you fully expect, there's a good chance I will never talk to you again. Right? And at no point does he communicate. Like, this is that pathos conversation, right? Of, like, mm. what I'm not saying is, 
this is the last time I'll talk to you, but I can't bring myself to say that. That should be the undertone of all of it. And Connery just cannot communicate that. No, this is that scene of like, you know, and again, like you say, this is, this is, this film, although setting it in space and I, and I love the aesthetic, isn't unique. This is not a, 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 an original story. We've seen mm-hmm. this trope a hundred times, the, you know, and this is why I think like, uh, you know, James Stewart works so well in some of these roles in the, in those Westerns, you know, the, you know, the man who killed Liberty Valance and all these other characters, because he is that sort of almost like Tom Hanks. When you see Tom Hanks mm-hmm. in like road to perdition or some of these other films and you go, Oh, that's Tom Hanks. And then he becomes something else. And you're like, Oh shit. Like, you know, Tom Hanks in like saving private. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you see him do that transition to doing something a bit different, like it works. Same with James Stewart. And like I say, Sean Connery can't do that. Um, and so I do feel like that, yeah, even Bruce Willis, like you said, mentioned in Die Hard and he's done other films, but like the, the scene when he's obviously his feet are all cut up and he's having that conversation where he's like, he's realizing like, yeah, this has gone wrong. <laughs> like, I'm not getting out of this. Like, you know, I've done what I can. I may probably shouldn't have done it sort of thing. Like, it's that, like you say, that, that, that last stance, isn't it? Sort of like, look, the next thing I do is probably going to kill me. So mm. I'm saying goodbye. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, it, but then you get later Bruce Willis, who is totally Sean Connery and totally yeah. <laughs> like, how do we pump this up? How do we make this more badass? Well, um, the thing is, unfortunately, I think some of the actors. Now let's you know, ignoring James Stewart, because I think James Stewart was always great. But um, even like even Harrison Ford is the same. Mm-hmm. Like you watch some of Harrison Ford sort of like eighties and nineties performances. They're fantastic. They are. There's got he's got that pathos, and he can do that with some of these characters. Even like his Jack Ryan in some of the films he did, that sort of thing. Later, short later, Harrison Ford clearly doesn't care and just sort of coasts through everything. So there is that thing of like, could this have worked better with, a, a, I don't know, a, an actor that could have given that pathos? Who you'd have felt like, oh yeah, no, he is, go- he's off to die for a reason. Um, yeah, I and thinking about one of the reasons I thought about Chinatown was I kept thinking, God, I would love to see Nicholson in this role. Mm. Uh, you know, as obviously, you know, famous as Sean Connery is, I'm not a Sean Connery hater by any means. I mm. mean, it's hard not to like the guy on screen. He's got a certain charisma. I grew up watching him. Um, but I did wonder somebody who was sort of more obviously capable of being slimy, you know, um, you know, an actor who, who goes for it um, and isn't afraid to be you know, vulnerable or slimy mm. or something like that could have really had, you know, sunk their teeth into this. And lots of actors could do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, like Gene Hackman, mm. you know, you could you could see the same. Because even with Sean Connery, like you can see where Sean Connery um, is willing to do things. Like, you know, that's because I, I would say even like Highlander, although it's sort of like he acknowledges how he, he thinks that film's silly and he's not his favorite, like he knew it was silly. And so he gives it sort of like a real sort of like, campy flair but if you watch the untouchables like where he plays like a macho irish cop with the scottish accent um he he manages to sort of give more to that role because i think he sees it as going oh that's what that's i'm enjoying this role like there's there is able to start the director is able to get more from him so i put this at sean connery's feet but i also put it Mm -hmm. at peter hyam's feet as well to say like this is should have been someone going. No, no, look, Sean. This is what I want. Like, really, sort of lean into this. You know, like you know, this is what we want to get. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. Someone sort of maybe slightly younger, someone who, who could have mm. given that pathos of saying, like, you know, this is. Um, well, I mean, just here's a scene of this weighing on me. Yeah. Right. I mean, here's the scene where I'm saying goodbye to my wife and son. You know, like, mm. <laughs> you know, maybe play it like that, Sean. Um, you know, yeah. maybe play it like what it's scripted as. Yeah. Read um, the word, read the words, and give them emotion. Don't just read the words. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like consider the context in the story. You know, that seems to be utterly missing here. Mm. Uh, but he does seem to really enjoy being a badass. Oh, um, he's clearly enjoying. Yeah. Those moments are great. Yeah, whenever he gets to have like that sort of like he delivers one of those sort of snarky lines or he's punching someone out or even like the he's enjoying the third act more than anybody else let's put it that way oh yeah uh, um, well, he even gets to say think it over and he doesn't add the word creep but yeah. i mean he's uh he gets the robocop line in yeah like he, he's looking to be that macho character and i think that's where it's sort of but you need fully it's weird how like you need that vulnerability in order for those scenes to have the impact and because he's not willing to do that vulnerability, they have less impact, um, which is where I think, like you say, you start to realise and go, oh, that's why those some of those action films or those, some of those more action-y cop dramas worked is because like, you had that, um, you know, vulnerability on display. Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a movie, Year of the Dragon. Uh, so I think it's Camino, Michael Camino, uh, Oliver Stone's script. Mm. Uh, it's about a you know a new sheriff right in, in Chinatown right uh, trying to clean it up um, and it and he goes against the triads and you know it's been accused of being racist and, and all this stuff and I'm not defending it from that perspective but uh, but it shows you know people say like why are you doing this you know this is a death sentence and he's a drunk he's mm. you know he doesn't know why he's doing it. He's, you know, it's Mickey Rourke, right? He's just Mickey Rourke. He's like yeah. an asshole. And, and yeah. I, I don't know why I'm doing it. Maybe I just don't like being pushed around anymore, you know? Um, and that's something Sean Connery can't even allow himself to do that. Mm. Well, he, even though sort of like those, you say that, you know, we're going back to those sort of um, Sam Spade kind of mm private eye things where you're sort of like why not just drop the case i mean that goes back to chinatown it's a similar thing isn't it sort of like you're getting beaten up by guys well why well i I say i just don't like to be pushed around like you know sort of um i can't let this go anymore there's it's a matter of macho honor kind of thing like but at least you have that motivation or something um even like like you say even clint eastwood in um a fistful of dollars you know or, or, or even you know um Mafuna in in uh, Yojimbo, like mm. you get to that point where you sort of go walk away, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, I can't." It's a matter of like you know principle now. It's a matter of sort of like you know, it's personal kind of thing. But it ne- you you feel that with those characters, where you don't with this one character, um, which I think you're right. This this is the weakness of this film. But I mean, to get to your point about sort of like you get half an arc. That seems to be really clear and really key because with Yojimbo and with, uh, you know, the man with no name, you don't know anything about the facts. No. You sort of therefore can imagine what you want. Mm. And so it's easy to think of a Ronin who, you know, 
disgraced or whatever or yeah yeah and and who idolizes the better days when you know mm. stood for something and, and has very little to live for um for himself and you know similarly it's easy to imagine the man with no name you know having been through hard times and not really caring whether he lives or dies probably mm. thought he was going to die from you know uh 20 times a year from the time he was 16 on yeah uh, you know i that's how i imagine it but we can't imagine that here we're given just enough that we need more for it to make sense mm-hmm. right we've we're given the family we're given this as a new mission to an undesirable uh outpost why are you getting that why are you abandoning your family at this key time you know yeah. uh, we're given just enough for it not to make sense yeah i mean there's, there's a line um he has a conversation with his wife and she's already sort of like, you know, unhappy. And he says like, well, we've only been here two weeks. It'll get better. And, you know, but there's no response where she's like, but you've said that the last 10 times, you know, and they always end up the same way, you know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you said that in the last place and look what happened. And you're like, well, what happened? But there's nothing like that. Like, it's just, she just sort of goes, all right. And then, and then leaves. <laughs> so even the wife's story is incomplete enough to be sort of like, going, oh, well, what, what's what's motivating you from the past to be, if that you're making this decision to walk away from your husband with your child? Like what's, you know, because mm. the message she leaves, clearly this wasn't an easy decision. So why? What's mm. motivating it? I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't get it either. And But I do think it's, it's well done. I like that mm. message of sort of goodbye saying, I, I love how it's repeated. It's almost Blade Runner-esque, how it's yes. sort of re- repeated in the background in this haunting way. Um, and I love the message of sort of like, I didn't have the courage to do this in person. Mm. It might be, you could argue, it's a misogynistic message, right? Women don't have courage. Look how she's a coward in an already misogynistic movie. I wouldn't go there. I could see that reading, but I wouldn't go there. I think it's a powerful message about how we we all you know, sometimes don't want to be corrected. We mm. don't want to lose our, our strength in the moment. And I think that, you know, it, it's beautifully done. My biggest complaint is then that final thing, besides, as you point out, the lack of um, correct emotions for saying goodbye to your family, is why is it live? It's, you know, until then... You know, I found myself thinking one of the reasons why, you know, you know, why this is on tape is because, um, you know, there's a time delay mm. from IO to wherever the hell she is. It's not Earth, but somewhere else in the solar system. Um, and then they're just live as if they're next door to each other. And I thought, oh, I thought that there was a kind of serious science fiction aspect to that emotional decision that, that struck me in a, in a really cool sort of like Solaris kind of like, oh, that's smart kind of way. And then it's like, oh, no, you didn't mean it like that. All it way. Yeah. 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 I think there's certain things in this when they don't give certain consideration to like that. They're, they're not going for the full hard science fiction considerations of of what it would be to be leaving a moon of, of Jupiter to go sort of be on another moon of, of Jupiter or even to be on the other side of that moon, to, uh, wherever. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's... um. It's Smoking going... in space. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> let's leave it at that. Um, 
but you are right. It's the, one of the weird things I think we sort of get into the nub of this is is I because I've, I've been picky on this film. I really enjoy this film. I do um, in many ways, but because of the aesthetic, because I think I like the pacing. I think it has that sort of like private eye, that sort of seventies sort of cop pacing. Um, but the other thing is, is as well is like you say, it's um, it's unfortunately not a great film. It's it's, a, it's, a, it's an enjoyable film, but it's not a, it's not a really good film or a great film because it never sort of sat or the, you say, if you were, you know, they never really ha- sat down and went, what is the purpose or what is this? What is that? Like it keeps getting to places where it's like, Oh, that's, I like that, but it's not great. Like, you know, there are scenes where I go, I really like that. And then the next one's a bit weak. Like there's a, there's a conversation. There's a really, I'd really like the conversation where he knows that his second in command is obviously involved in this and they're making money. They're playing squash. Yeah. And he's like, and the, they have a conversation. Like, and he's like, they they literally they're having this open conversation about it. And he says, Oh, well, you're gonna take me down. And he's like, No. You know, I want you to almost like to do what you're doing now. I want you to turn a blind eye to what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you do best, turn a blind eye. And they carry on playing. And it's sort of like it's just this is there's a ten it's one of the few scenes where there's a legit tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoy that scene where it's sort of like these two colleagues that like, you know, the person that that um Sean Connery was supposed to trust and was there sort of as his sort of like, you know, to, to get him into this, this community and he's having to confront him, but they do it in a sort of like, there's, there's, there's almost like a lack of machoism there. It's just two guys sort of talking. It doesn't degenerate into a fight. It doesn't gen- degenerate into an argument. It's just a discussion. And I love that scene. And there's several scenes like that. Again, like the conversation with Peter Boyle and stuff where like, where Boyle is laying out how all this works and he's sort of saying, like, you you are a cog in this. Like, don't think you're anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's these really great scenes, but then it keeps sort of slipping back to things. And again, it's where I'm like, Sean Connery's the weak link in this. Like, yeah. if you had somebody else, this could be fantastic. Um, well, I found myself thinking, and I agree with you about Sean Connery, but I, I found myself thinking, uh, vis-a-vis what you're saying, that while I was watching it, I was really troubled by or... or perplexed by this idea about how it not being about anything mm. and and i think that you know i am kind of a sucker for movies being about something mm-hmm. um, you know i want sure have all the action in the world but have that underlying you know that underlying uh theme right you know it's it's chris nolan yeah okay it's a it's a bunch of guys shooting each other but it's about x y and z right mm-hmm. and Obviously, that could be more obvious in your face or more subtle. And then sometimes there's there are films that are good that just aren't about anything. And I think that those tend to be much more forgettable. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, for example, The Untouchables is a totally forgettable movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it amounts to absolutely nothing. And it's well done. You know, I think there are a lot of spy movies that are just excellent maneuvers by smart people back and forth and i think oh this is all very well done i really enjoyed this This excellent spy movie and i'm never going to think about it again Mm. um because it doesn't get at you know how corrupt that system is or you know it's just it's just a a movie about you know doing things um and i think that this feels more like a movie that doesn't know that it could be about stuff like it it has like alien feels more like it's aware that it's a it's a condemnation of corporate culture 
this movie doesn't seem to know that in the same way, or it isn't interested in somebody writing a thesis about that. Uh, if that makes sense. No, no, I agree. This film is more interested in being a Western in space than actually being, than, than using that framing device to then, to then make a statement or to do anything about it. That's the, that's the, and I think you're right. I hundred percent agree. Like there's almost like this implied like thing around corporate um, greed and, and dispo- the disposability of, of staff mm. and resource, but it's never sort of like addressed in any sort of like specific way. And especially considering sort of like, you know, coming out in 81, like the seventies was, was especially in this country, but I don't you know, less, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but like we were being run rampant by like union uh, disquiet and strikes and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, like th- this film should have hit home in a really, and also like, you know, Thatcher coming into power and the mining communities of, of you know, North England and Wales sort of closing down and coming to an end and, and fighting for their survival. Like this film should feel mm. like it's hitting home. Like, you know, get a British director on this and this probably would have mm. been, you know, really yeah. sort of like, you know, could have been about something. And it never, but it's more about, it still wants to be that macho Western. You know, it's, it's looking to it's looking to do that rather than, um, like you say, so I think that's disappointing. That's part of the problem is it never feels like it's actually about anything in particular. Well, and, and you're right. Get a British director at that time and, and it would have been very different. Mm. I mean, we don't have that same history. And unfortunately, we are still attached to this Ayn Randian <laughs> idea of this, you know, this lone individual who comes into town. And, and that's part of the mess, Western myth, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's there in Star Trek. It's there in Star Wars. I mean, it's it's inscribed in fairy tales and, and King Arthur and, and all of that stuff. Um, it's not all bad, mm-hmm. but there, but, you know, for a movie that is about exposing a conspiracy to abuse workers in a mine there's never like a shot of a miner suffering or looking you know we see somebody shooting up with a drug when we don't know what it is yet but you know we don't really see why he's doing it we don't see miners talk to their kids we don't see any sort of class consciousness um you know there's no the camera doesn't care about the miners Mm. The script might, the plot might imply that they're being treated as disposable, but the camera doesn't give a shit. Well, one of the weird things, because one of the, yeah, to, to get to that point, one of the things I do like about this, that I really like about this film, is the fact that it sort of highlights how dangerous this mining is. Um, you see two deaths in particular. Well, you see multiple deaths, but like, this thing of them mining is sort of a, you know, like in, in space, like out on the surface of this moon. And the first one is, is the opening of the film, and you get this guy who's been driven crazy by this drug, and it's all very sort of, it's a little bit silly because he's sort of like, spiders, spiders. And I'm just like, all right, fine. But it's when he pulls his cord, and you get the sort of like, and I'm glad yeah. they don't stick onto it to the, they don't go the full Verhoven sort of like, you know, um, <laughs> eyes bulging. They come close later with that, with that uh, stretched out shot. They do, but this this is just enough to be like yeah. it's vi- it's, there's a, there's a, just enough where you see the blood splatter on the screen, and then the the other one is um, the guy We're who gets. We're going to into- go in cinema history. Everything we do on this podcast will be utterly forgotten, but the phrase "the full Verhoeven" will yeah. enter the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh yeah, no, yeah. Never go the full. You don't go full Verhoeven unless you're really committed <laughs> to it. Um, but again, you get another scene where a guy enters the lift and he enters, um, you know, the, the the moon's atmosphere, the moon's surface without a suit, and he then all you see is they bring him back up, or some guys open the lift, and his body's like his guts are all torn out, and he's, he's obviously the body's depressurized and stuff. Like it does not. Um, shy away from showing and just enough to be like look these guys are a, like a you know a piece of material away from dying constantly like this is a dangerous dangerous job and i like the fact that it shows that that these are guys um and so but so i like those scenes where it does show that like, you know because you see the guys going crazy you then get uh, the guy who goes see the prostitute and starts sort of threatening with a knife and i'm like okay you sort of need that because that sort of mm-hmm adds into the conspiracy of, of the, the sergeant, whoever that ends up shooting him and all this other stuff. Fine. But you're right. You never actually get like a character or a, a, um, enough information about life as an actual minor. Cause there's a really cool scene. And I look like you say about the set, like the set design on this film is fantastic. Like some of the sets on this are brilliant. But there's a scene where it goes back and they're sort of like there's a panning shot and it's clearly all the miners in their sort of sleeping quarters and they're all in like caged pods mm. with like a mattress and stuff in there. And there's a shower and, and sort of like a locker room area and stuff. And it's like, oh, life here is hard. Like this is sort of like, you know, they are, you know, earning money to spend at home. Like this must be like a short how long do they spend on here? Like, how long are they here? Is it like a, a six month tour? Is it 12 months? I don't know. And there was, when that scene happens and you see them like, Oh, I want to spend some time here. Like I, they, they yeah. needed, there needed to be a character that lives down there that sort of works with Sean Connery, like an informant or something to give you a glimpse of what it's like actually as a minor. And I, again, I think like we end up working in the echelons of power a little bit, middle management, mm-hmm. as it were, almost. But you mm-hmm. don't get the impact of a miner saying like, "Well, I've got to do this because I've got to send. I've got to. If I don't hit my productivity targets, I don't get my bonus, which means I can't send money home to my family, which means my family starve." Like, I need to know that pressure that they're under in this dangerous environment would be really cool. That would again would take it up to that next level of being really good. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'm thinking about like the the a plot b plot uh in, in the way that shakespeare did it with a you know mm. sort of high low right yeah we're gonna follow you know the king we're also gonna follow you know prince hal hanging around with falstaff mm. and you know that's such a classic you know uh structure you know you mentioned gene hackman and i was thinking about mississippi burning mm. mississippi burning uses that structure mm. um where you you get a sense of why these people's lives matter even if you're a racist who've never been to mississippi or not an american you get it um you know and here that's exactly what's missing and i think you know you're 100 percent right to underline that point um first of all it starts out with that murder you're right that frames the movie as a murder mystery mm-hmm. uh First of all, that mystery is solved halfway through, and then it becomes gunfight at the OK Corral, you know, in, in a way that's much more uh, uh, boring to me. Um, but that murder mystery in space is really cool. I like that. I like, you know, the mm. conspiracy stuff. But you're supposed to know, be told why to care about the victims, right? I mean, in a murder mystery, the victim has to matter, right? Yes. And yeah. especially if that's a class of people being murdered, you're supposed to feel something. Even the miners never have a conversation about 
you're never shown how they're responding. And and to that point, it's been 12 months where it's gone from like, you know, what, uh, two minors every I also like it's been exactly two six month increments, right? Mm. It was like 42 every six months or something. And like two of the six months before uh, a year ago. So um, like clearly they've noticed it. Another miner has died right in front of them, like yet again. And they're just like back to work. Don't worry, guys. Uh, you know, there's never any conversation. You never live with them. You never see them. And and just to make the second point, um, Sean Connery does have moments of concern for that prostitute. He seems, you know, he's not mad. Uh, he's he is mad rather that uh, that guy shot uh, the assailant, uh, shot the criminal there. But he's not overly mad. But he does seem to care about the prostitute and that mm. this isn't just what's being done to her. Okay, that's great. But we don't even follow up to see how she's doing, except uh, a few minutes later. Uh, she's not a character. The lives of prostitutes there. You can you get just enough to kind of like imagine what they might be. It's similar to Sean Connery's family. It's like there's just enough to make you want more. Yeah. Uh, but we're never given it. And, and it makes it hard to care about the victims in a murder mystery when you're not ever shown that or told to identify with them. No, and that's the thing. I, I often sort of, uh, I think, you know, because this, this film's, I think, one hour 50 uh, pushed up with credits and stuff. So it's not super long. It's not, you know, but I don't, and I'm not saying I want like a three hour epic of anything like that, but there's, <laughs> there, there's like an efficiency of storytelling. And I think like, you know, this goes for some long language shots of sort of like you know panning across things and i understand that and i definitely think this person david himes watched alien and was like ridley scott's got a really good vision of how they should look i'm gonna do that um and i like a lot of that like there's some great exterior shots as i said i think the miniatures and the sets on this are fantastic i think so they really did do a great job um and so yeah i see why they want to use it but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those sort of, like we've said this, I think, with other films, like there's a great film in here. Like there's a great mm. story to be told. It just seems to be just sort of like just missing that, that you know, like you say, tweaks on bits and pieces and you have a fantastic story. Like, And in my head, and, and we've said this before, like would this story work better, I don't know, as a mini-series, like a three-parter where you go, right, and then you can follow those... Um, you know, you can have those flashbacks where we get some more story. We can uh, we can pad out a character that's a minor that's really struggling with this and sort of like mm. is under pressure from his colleagues not to say anything. Like he's the one that doesn't use it. And so, you know, but like he's under pressure not to talk about the effects that he's clearly seeing on his colleagues and all this other stuff. Like there's a great story you could really sort of talk about corporate culture and greed and, and the disposability uselessness of, you know, police in, in this environment. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's so much you could do with this that I, I just think that, you know, they don't have the time. And so they sort of decide to focus on this a plot without giving the B plot. Yeah. But I mean, you say they don't have the time. I mean, I, I would like to watch what you're describing, but I mean, again, I, w I was amazed that after the credits, which take forever, Yes. You know, I, I, I was amazed at how, after the initial scene or so, how rapid it is. Mm. And by the time you're at like 45 minutes to 50 minutes, you know, you've basically resolved the mystery. 
and you're ready for a big conflict. And then you've got like an hour of why is he not arresting the guy talking to people, (laughs) you know, on the ship about like, you know, are you with me or against me? Should we drink or not? I mean, you know, you know, long shots of like the countdown to the arrival of these three guys, you know, as if I'm supposed to give a shit. Um, And I, I really think they do spend an awful lot of time on that big bang muscular conclusion um, that could easily be spent on doing at least some of the things that you and I wanted to do. Mm. Um, But I couldn't agree more that this is, uh, there's a great film in here. Mm. Um, There really is something special here that, you know, while it doesn't really come off, uh, there's a version of this movie that is a fantastic movie that's talked about. I mean, this film is completely forgotten. Um, There's a version of this that's talked about as, you know, another Blade Runner. Yes, exactly. Uh, Which was another film that it was suggested that this is in the canon of, um, which I thought was interesting. Because, you know, it could work in that again, because then you could have this idea of like replicants versus humans as miners and all sorts of things. Like there's so much you could explore with this. Um. Yeah, and I think that's the disappointment is that you've got so much potential that's not, and it falls into that sort of like the I say the action finale, like it's even the second half, like it degenerates into that action. And I was curious, so I wanted to sort of like you know looked, I looked at the director Peter Himes, I know the name, and I was like, why do I know that name? And then you look at his credentials, and he's done nothing. He did two thousand and ten. Um, which was the follow-up to 2001, which, again, a film we will get to both of those at some point, because I actually mm-hmm. think 2010 is worth, worth um, it's visiting. It's not, an, it's not a great movie. No, but it's an interesting sort of... There's, there's some interesting elements to it, like a very different take. But he did Capricorn yeah. 1, uh, but after that, like, it's all a bit... Eh. And then he did, like, Time Cop, Sudden Death, The Relic, like, End of Days. Like, his, his 90s career becomes very much sort of, like, action-orientated, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can see what you were aiming for. Like, I think you um, were aiming for that as a bit of a, that was your sort of, you know, clearly what you were going for at some point. Um, yeah. And, and and so I think, you know, the, the, the action side of things takes over a little when this should have been a bit more um, French connection rather than, mm. you know, rather than Dirty Harry or let's say one of the later Dirty Harry films. Yeah. I mean, I kept thinking of Chinatown and sort of yeah. where I wanted this to point to, but um, yeah, I mean, I find myself, um, you know, during the, it was actually during the chase scene, even before the finale of the three guys coming on the ship, um, you know, during that chase scene where, you know, he arrests the guy and you know, mm. he's put in prison and the, the prison stuff is more interesting than the chase scene. I find myself watching the chase scene and just, you know, I'm not so not in the moment that in my own head, I'm thinking, why do they even put chase scenes in anymore? Like, do do you think that your chase scene is going to be better than all the other chase scenes we've seen? Like, what about your chase scene is going to stand out? And, And when I'm thinking about all that stuff, obviously I'm not in the moment. Yeah, it's got to have a purpose. Like the thing with the chase scene, I think, and we'll sort of, we've got to start looking at wrapping up soon. But like, one of the things I think about chasing, it's got to serve one of two purposes. Either it's got to be a tension point because that the person that's being chased down is 
critical to the investigation or to the plot. So them getting away um, would be, you know, is really important. You know, it would be a dramatic thing. So the the capture needs to be um, really important. So you're like, oh, thank God he's caught him sort of thing. Um, Or the, the chase scene in and of itself needs to be impressive. Think like Jackie Chan, you know, or one of those sort of scenarios where it's like, oh, the the chase scene in and of itself is a stunt spectacular. Cool. Mm-hmm. Then I'm watching it for that purpose. Um, you know, or like I say, the, the first one is he captures him and it gives him information that cracks the case, reveals a big twist, or you know, everything you thought was the case is not the case. So, you know, everything you thought was wrong, sort of thing. Like it needs to be important. And unfortunately, in this case, like the, the chase is fine. I actually kind of like the fact it's sort of it's, it feels claustrophobic. It ends up in this sort of kitchen area, and has this sort of like bit of a fight. Like I kind of, I actually am in the moment a bit more. But it it, it doesn't it, it doesn't actually boil down to a great deal until you get to the actual prison. And I like the the idea of him being like held in you know non gravity and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, it's that thing again of going like you've just skipped you've you've just skimmed the surface of something fantastic and i'm i'm not you know um you say about the machoism like he grabs the shotgun you know sean connery sort of grabs a shotgun shoots it round the guy which again i'm like that's not how shotguns work yeah um, yes. <laughs> um and he's like you know that's when he's sort of like you know he's like you know i fired you know, did I fire three shots or only? Four? You know, if I fired four shots or only three, and I'm like, oh god, you're doing the the macho thing again. Like he's like, I'm ready to shoot you, and I'm just like, oh, like, <laughs> fine. You do that so well. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it, and it. So it is. It is a bit disappointing. Like it should be again. Like I don't want to shoot you. Like stop making me do this. Um, but it it, it never yeah. feels I mean, like the, there's, the a, there's no that- there's no reluctance to kill people. But a guy who's that lucky, that ready yeah. to kill somebody, are we supposed to believe that like he was torn away from his family? I mean, you know, that he's got to do this to be a good guy. He doesn't care whether he's a good guy. That's the entire point of that scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very confused. Um, yeah, I mean, I was not as in love with the chase. I mean, any chase where it's like, it's almost like a, a guy rolls a trash can, you know, and the other guy has, you know, any chase where it's like, oh, you've shut the door. I've got to get my key card out and open the door. And that's like a major element. <laughs> yeah. chase, you know. But then also there's this there's this thing that he is he's running and he's carrying and he throws it in a boiling pot of water. I mean, I like the kitchen scene, but he throws it in a boiling pot of water and Sean Connery instantly plunges his hand because he's badass Stupid. TM, you know, yeah. into the water. What is it that he's thrown in the water? Is it the drug? Yes. But I mean, you know, there's that drug is, I mean, everybody's got it in the station. We've, yeah. You know, but he has it. Yeah. This... Well, he's because he's obviously looking for information about a batch. That's the thing. Like he's looking so he can trace it. But again, the moment he puts his hand in the water, like you said, he's badass. I'm thinking you're an idiot. Like move it off the stove and turn it over. Like uh-huh. it's like it's not. Like I've. Yeah. I'm sort of in my head. I'm going like this is not hard. Like this is. Yeah. You know, take that pot over. Yeah, take it yeah, on the guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Use it as a weapon. Like, do something. Like, yeah. The moment he puts his hand in, that was when that sort of scene sort of fell a little bit away. Where I'm like, <laughs> oh, you are stupid. Like, this is the dumbest thing you could have done. Like, yeah. But but don't you think it's supposed to sell him as he's such a badass that he? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, he's supposed to be 
yeah, he's tough because he's willing to do that. But I'm just going, you're not the smartest copper on the field. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I guess he's so he's so dumb. This is the only explanation, and he didn't think to just go arrest the general manager. He's yeah, like, well, gotta wait for those three guys. You know, Kesara, Sarah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There's there's so much that that thing like you know it, what could be the repercussions of him if he did arrest the general manager like what you know like there needs to be a reason he can't arrest him outright you know they even even robocop addresses this like by having the fourth directive like you know it's silly but like you you know you can't act against a a board member of ocp like right i find that completely i mean why is that silly you you think they well no, it makes in. sense i yeah, know yeah. american culture you know, <laughs> yeah. that shit in man yeah but like, there's nothing to stop him. So why, you know, it's it's yeah. There's there's plot holes that sort of like the more you think about, it, the more gaping they become. Um. So anyway, right. Well, we are, you, we are... you always have you know last minute things that are that are brilliant. You know, mm. I have nothing more to say here. You know, throw out the stuff that you didn't get to uh, in a concise form because I know you always have additional thoughts. Yeah. Um, no, really, it's that the, the big thing for me is like say, is the Sean Connery element of like, why is this not, um, why why is this badass Sean Connery? Like, this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger problem. Like, I love Arnie films, and Arnie, but the thing is, Arnie films know they are Arnie films, right? Like, you watch like The Running Man, and The Running Man's a really good example. Like, you read the book by Stephen King, and it's very very different. It's about a sort of like Michael Bean should be playing. Uh, ben Richards rather than Arnold Schwarzenegger, but in, but the Running Man and we will going to be talking about the Running Man on this in this season. But the Running Man knows it's an Arnie film, and so you're like, cool, it's an Arnie film. And so if even if this was an Arnie film, like if Outland was an Arnie film, it would be an action film from the get go, and it would be fine. You'd know what it was. As you said, the biggest problem with this is it doesn't know what it is, and so you're given this sort of like badass sort of like Western marshal. But it wants to be like this, yeah. It wants to have this almost like a, a private eye cop drama thing, and it's like it's 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 neither one or the other, um, and it tries to sort of serve both masters, and in doing so, it becomes this kind of like muddled um, mess, a film of two, a literal film of two halves. Where I totally agree, the first half is way more interesting than the second half, um, almost to the Home Alone point of view. Like I hate. Like the fact that, like you know, Home Alone is is a reference point for this film is a problem. <laughs> when he goes up and sets up the um, the joints in that in that tunnel so that he can depressurize it at a later point, angers me to such a point because you've said how massive this place is. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of the things like did he go and do that we don't know about that he's gone? Oh mm-hmm. shit! I've got to go fix that now because someone could be killed <laughs> if that part depressurizes. Like. It's mm-hmm. not that it's not then explained that he's like, oh, I'm going to try and lure them into this tunnel, like, or I've got to sort of pull them into this cul-de-sac. Like, it constantly sort of like wants to sort of show you things, and you're supposed to assume things, but then doesn't really follow up on them. So it doesn't feel like a cat and mouse game at the end, which is what it's, mm-hmm. it clearly wants to be. It clearly wants to be that cat and mouse game of him taking out things. And all I could think about when I watched this is Rambo does this better. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Going back to action tropes, if you want to do these things, have it where like he's set up all these things and he set up these traps, and you know you're on his turf now, or like he's sort of like manipulated the environment. Cool, do that, but make sure that like he's set up to be that character. And this is the problem: like the character that you have in the first half of the film is not the character you have in the second half of the film. It's still Sean Connery throughout on a level, literally at like spirit level, not moving, but like the the, the actions don't weigh out and again the other part that we've we talked about and i want to very quickly touch on is ever since we talked about um what was the film um that had ralph fines in um the drug film from the 90s oh my god oh. it's gonna bother me now but doesn't you know what i'm talking about when we were like catherine well, the whole, catherine bigelow's film thank you yes um you'll remember shortly but um we were saying like the whole there's a, there's a follow-up to that film where the court case at the back of that film about sort of corruption in the police and racial mm. prejudices in the police is way more interesting than some of the stuff that we've mm. been presented with. I, I do love that Strange film. Days. Strange Days, thank yeah. you. And there's a part of me in this where I'm like, hang on, he's walking away from this at the end of the film. I think he's been fired, but it's never really... <laughs> did, he, did he quit or was he fired? Yeah. But like you say, this guy's just depressurized a massive part of a mining facility Okay, but this is also the most productive mining facility. So the corporations lost money, but other people are losing out. Well, what is the impact of this? Like, what has happened? Like, is it you know, is he actually going to be prosecuted? No, he's walking away with his family. All right. Well, what's happening to the mining corporation? Have they just brought a new person in? Is the drug been eradicated? Is there? Is it been clean? Has he cleaned up the town? Doesn't appear <laughs> to. Like the, the the film sort of end, ends on this sort of thing. It, it ends his arc because he's sort of like, I am a good man and I should now go see my family. And you're like, good for you. What happens to all these people that you've sort of like you've not engaged with? And that was the problem I had at the end of the film, where I was like, I don't, I don't understand that. Is this a is this a happy ending? Is it is it a, is it supposed to be a downbeat ending? Like I don't understand. The, the 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 sort of like the nub of this film, and as you said, it's not about anything. It doesn't give you that thing, so you don't get a, a payoff. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm happy. Well done, you succeeded. Um, and so that's the problem I sort of have with this film is it doesn't know what it is, and it doesn't know what it wants to tell you at the end. If that makes sense, yeah, you you have to do your Sean Connery uh, more often. It's really, <laughs> really charming. Um, see, I'm an American, so I totally get the ending of this movie, which is he's a hero and he beat the bad guys. That's he it. That's but, he, but, he, but he doesn't that's, beat it them. It doesn't matter. But did, did, how did he beat them? Because he doesn't he doesn't sort of like blow open the case, like the the, the solar system or the population doesn't go. There's no sort of like person that's going like, oh my God, this thing is corrupt and we've got to take down the major, we've got to take down the right. Whalen yutani company or whatever. Like there's no big break in this. Stupid. <laughs> Except, yeah, but that's the problem. Like even Robocop's like, oh, OCP's <laughs> taken down at the end of it. Like to, you know, the, the corruption is oh, sort no, of. Like, no, no, no. The whole point of Robocop and I mean, Robocop 2 is like, you no, can't the take corruption down. will continue. Yes, well, we, true. You know, we'll but get them someday. Yeah, but at least sort yeah. of like the bad guy is taken down in a sort of a dramatic right. in, in, right. in a in a suitable way. But in this, I'm not even sure that right. he succeeded. Like I don't understand what the ending of this film is telling me. See, I thought he quit. No, you're right. Of course, you're right. I mean, I'm teasing you, but you, I thought he quit, and I thought, you know, probably at the end of that one year suspended animation trip to Earth, 
he will be arrested in front of his family and tried for <laughs> destroying most of the IO mine base, which ruined the livelihood of all of these poor workers. Yeah, he's got their actual more than that. Um, they all starved because their crops were destroyed. <laughs> Uh, and they've all had to abandon this IO thing because of this one thing. Like, I don't, yeah, like, it's that thing of like, they want to show you, this is one of those things that you see in these films that you do go like, um, there's there's a big dramatic fight at the end. Okay, cool. But what was the impact of that? Like, what was the effect right. of it? Like, and it does, it, but it doesn't even give me like a, a denouement or like a pro, you know, like a pro uh, an epilogue to say, you know, even like uh, some text at the end or whatever, like or show Peter Boyle being marched away. I don't know something. Mm-hmm. This it just not even of... shown being arrested. He's just no. punched. Yeah, that's what matters because it it's such an American movie, right? All that matters is that the good guy won and he punched the bad guy. That's all we need emotionally over here. You know, all's right with the world. You got your punch in. But it, it works in a western. Right. This is where like it would work because <laughs> it's a simple. It sounds this sounds really patronizing, but it would work in this because it's a simpler time. Right. It's a small mining town almost on its own. So to humiliate and beat the land baron to stand up to them is to give the town power, and that's the point. So to point to punch out the the baddie is enough because it shows that the town is standing up to him, and he no longer has the power to push people around you know, without the law stepping in. It doesn't work if you acknowledge that the person that you're punching out is only a middle manager and actually there's a large corporation at the top of that. Like it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, and so that yeah it should this the end of this because even the doctor's happy. She's like, we did a good thing. And I'm like, did you tell me what was it? Like it it it, it <laughs> And that's the problem well, with this film. That's why that was my biggest problem with this film was coming out of it, going like, I don't know what the good thing is that you've done. Yeah. Well, we destroyed the mine, yeah. but you know, we had to we had to kill the village to save it. Um, you know, the, the, among the dead are some bad people, mm. which is uh, <laughs> a victory. Yeah. <laughs> among the piles of corpses are some bad guys. Yeah. Jesus smiled. Yeah, this is one of those things where I'm, I I was asked, uh, I was re- not too long ago, I was thinking about what films should be remade because I'm, I'm always sort of like I hate the fact that they remake successful films. I like, don't remake that because the, the, that version is not not the definitive, but like it's good, and so don't mess with it unless you've got another take on it. Mm-hmm. This is one of those few films where I'm like, oh no, revisit Outland. Yeah, revisit this because it needs something. It could be there's there's something here that I think would be really really cool. I agree a hundred percent, and and I would just say all my instincts are Chinatown, Blade Runner, are film noir. Shoot yeah. it like it's a damn film noir. Yeah, forget the western tropes. Go f- lean into to the noir. The co- or, or even like a seventies well, cop of a seventies cop drama. Mm-hmm. Lean into that aesthetic. Well, and, and the backbone can still be Western. I mean, that yeah. Western backbone was the backbone of film noir. Well, exa- exactly. It doesn't have yeah. your happy ending, right? No, exactly. Yeah. Like Serpico or, you know, or, or you know, um, some of those sorts of films. Like, yeah, those, those are the French connection. And, um, yeah, have it so that there's like, you know, it's got those Western, I don't know, ideals, those Western tropes, but like, yeah, you're shifting yeah. it through the lens of those 70s cop dramas to have it again now. I think that would be well worth um, a revisit. 
I think so too. And and the one thing is it cannot have a happy ending. No. This is one plot that just is not there's no way you cut it. The best ending is a Pyrrhic victory, you know. Uh this mine won't be using that drug anymore. What about all the others? Uh I mean that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, this needs to be a bit more downbeat. And I think it's yeah, it, I think it'll be fantastic. It's such a good story here to tell. Anyway. I agree. I'm glad and I'm glad hey look, I'm glad you uh chose this film. I'm mm. really glad to see it. I had no idea what to expect. I would not have expected it to have been this good and this fascinating. No, it is. I would say for all the stuff we've said about it, like it's still an enjoyable film. I still enjoy it as like say, like you say, quite a throwaway film. It's 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 got its moments. I think it looks great. I think the money was spent on the sets and everything is fantastic. I think there are some good people in it. Um, I love Peter Boyle when he's not, you know, Peter Boyle being sort of um, not trying to be funny is actually good. I think he's a great dramatic actor. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think there's parts of this film that really work. It's just a shame. It's not a great film. It's just one of those that sort of like in a world of sort of like where you've got alien and blade runner, and then this sort of just falls shy of those, which is unfortunate, but it could easily have stood on par with those at some point. It's uh, miles better than soldier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe one day we'll get to Soldier, but probably, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> yeah, if, if we have to choose something else that gets in the canon of, of one of those movies, I'm voting for this over that. Yeah, if we're going to do a sort of like a follow up, I'll do 2010 before we did Soldier. I think yeah. that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's worth talking about, but the only problem with uh, talking about it is I'd have to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's one of the first it's one of the yeah it's not a good film um that'd be a very different maybe it's a bonus podcast at one point where we just sort of tear that film down <laughs> for we're, an hour. we're gonna have to do like a, a season of just like shit we didn't want to do just yeah like, films yeah. films we openly hate i think is uh yeah mm. no yeah. We're, we're quite mean people when we don't like something oh uh, I, oh I, I yeah think we'd be quite snarky and fun yeah, that, that that'll be the most popular season. Yes, What's unfortunate is I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. I think Kurt Russell's great. I think I love a lot of his films. That is one film where I'm like, oh no, <laughs> that's a very unfortunate film. We'll save that for day. Anyway, we have run to time. So, any final thoughts on Outland before we go? That that thanks for showing it to me. That was my final thought. Yeah, no, it's good for me. I'm glad we got to sort of watch this. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are sort of heading still into. Uh, the 80s, we're coming to sort of halfway point. We will be reviewing so far soon. But before we do that, our next film is a return to uh, franchise territory and further sequels. Uh, we're going to be talking about, let me make sure I'm right, we are talking about Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan on the next episode. Uh, so, you know, this is sort of, we did Empire Strikes Back as a sort of the sequel. Now we're going to be doing Wrath of Khan following up motion picture. So we'll see how we feel about that. Because that's another one where we are talking about a very clear change in direction, a very clear change in tone, mm -hmm. and often talked about as uh, one of the best Star Trek films, much like Empire talks about as one of the best Star Trek films. So does it stand up? Do we think it that? Or are we going to be making uh, snarky Shatner jokes? We shall see. <laughs> uh, we can do both. We can, we can indeed, but we shall definitely watch that. It's it's a spectacular film, but Shatner's wig steals the scene. Yeah, it, yeah, almost won an Oscar, that film, for his wig. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying this. But let us know, what have you seen Outland? Have you not seen Outland? Um, you know, and it's not one you've heard of. Let us know. I'll be interested to see what people think about this film. 
um, and Sean Connery's performance in this and other films. Uh, if you like to talk, we can reach out to us on social media at Pod Time Space. Whilst Twitter still exists, we may not be there for long. Oh. We shall see. Um, yeah. uh, but also, you know, we have uh, all that you can reach us out on comments on every other pl- uh, podcasting platform. So go leave a review in particular. We really appreciate all the feedback. And if you like what we're doing, we do have the Patreon in which Julian and I are trekking through the Twilight Zone episode to episode. We're currently going through the third season um, on the Patreon. And on this feed, you are getting the season one episodes every other week. So there's an absolute dearth of entertainment on there, sci-fi and horror talk. We've just got to some of the classics most recently um, that we've talked about. So if you like that, go check it out. Uh, Not to f- mention your 30-minute thoughts and, and all those other bonus features that you give. Yeah, 30-minute thoughts, quarter, uh, qu- quarterly creators corner, that's another one we do. So yeah, there's loads of stuff on there, loads of behind-the-scenes kind of bits and pieces and things we're talking about. So anyway, for now, look, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And thank you, Julian, for talking about Outland. Uh, And we shall see you aboard the Enterprise in the next episode. (laughs)